0: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Live from downtown San Francisco, this is 95.7 The Game.
2: Wow, is it Sunday morning already? Is it almost August already? Thanks for being with us on this uh, final day of July. Happy Sunday morning. Good Sunday morning from Kevin, Michael, Whitey Gleason, and Evan Giddings, Dub G and E G the B G. Can I call you E G the B G? Evan Giddings, the bearded guy. Absolutely.
3: Any any man that has four names as I do as well can call me whatever they so please. <laughs> Although you have you know four first names pretty much outside. Yeah. Well, Gleason, I guess. But right, right. But uh, you know, Evan Howard Abercrombie, Abercrombie Giddings. <laughs> really, that's really it. That that is all four. I have two middle names. I uh, got the grandfather along with the mother's last name that fits in there oh, nice nicely. Yeah. And that's how we roll. Yeah, that's a nice use of the Abercrombie there. Well done. 15% off, Whitey. That's, that's <laughs> what we get at all Abercrombie and Fitches. We try and find gear that just has the Abercrombie. It's kind of hard
2: to pick oh, out amongst the, the sales yeah. rack, but gotcha. I do get 15% off. Yeah. Um. By the way, uh, we're glad you're with us today. Really glad. I'm really glad and grateful that Evan is here because... He was recently nearly killed by a member of the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I don't want to mention any names, but the guy's <laughs> name rhymes with Balagoa Snoobonga, right? And that rumor has it that you were almost, I guess, quote-unquote inadvertently taken out by a 49er at practice. That's true, and and
3: I do have to apologize here because I, I, I realized I was a bit in the wrong. I was out there at training camp. This is the first ever training camp I went to, mm-hmm. and I was on the sideline. You know, got a credential, was able to get close up, as close as, you know, they let people get to the players. And so during one of the scrimmages, Trey Lance, you know, unleashes a rocket up to Ayuk, who turns it upfield, is running up the sideline. And Fonga, uh, I think I think his nickname is the Tasmanian Devil, or he kind of, you know, looks like he plays with that sort of furious frenzy and just is running up the side trying to cut off Ayuk and not, not knock him to the ground, but kind of let him know that he's there. And so he sidesteps and my youth gets out of the way and a coming right at me. Now our very own John Dickinson sees this from a mile away. Yeah. He, he steps back and I, I I'm looking around and there's no one right next to me. Ifanga's coming right at me and I just get, I got, I got feet in quicksand white. I, yeah. I, I had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And I even almost stepped right into him. And afterwards, you know, I saw my life flash before my eyes. I've never had a football player almost decleat me on the sideline and J.D. goes, you know, he he gave that look like, are you going to get out of the way? Because I'm not getting out of the way. And this yeah. dude is running full speed at me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was almost one of those cameramen on NFL Sunday that just gets blasted from behind. And then you know, all, you, all you can do is pick yourself up. And I, I, oh, I got to apologize to Talano. I'm getting out of the way. So you did not get knocked
2: time. down, but it was close.
3: I yeah. felt like I felt like he knocked my my soul out of my body. Yeah, like I was okay. watching from above.
2: My, you know, my, my physical form almost be taken to the turf. So Talano, Talano, who pardon me, gave you the look like, are you going to get out of the way? And you gave him the look as if to say, I, sir, am an accredited member of the media. I am play by play for the Bay Area Panthers. So you better watch yourself. Well, right. It's also a thing. Yeah, he's a USC guy,
3: you know. And around these parts, look, I understand great education, amazing school, but I got a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I'm a so I'm a small school guy, didn't have the grades to get into USC and this guy, this Trojan is yeah. bearing down the field uh-huh. and maybe this is my one chance to be able to step up to <laughs> you know play play with the big boys where I never could I couldn't do it in the classroom but maybe on the practice maybe this one time on the practice field I can at least hang with Hufonga, who by the way looks small on TV but in person my sure. goodness that dude has put on a lot of muscle and uh, I'm expecting big things from him this year because if he's putting terror into opponents the way he did into me 49ers might have something.
2: Uh, It's amazing how differently it looks when you're right there in the field. I know a lot of people know this. A lot of people have occasions to be on the field during uh, practices or even during games. A lot of fans sit right there. But as, as violent as the game is on television... Uh, I remember the old days at Candlestick where you'd sit, media would be in the press box. The locker room was on the other side of the field. So the last couple minutes of the game, you had to come down to the field so that you could get to the locker room after the game. So you'd watch the last few minutes on the field. And I remember Ronnie Lott put a hit on a Dallas receiver one time on, a, on the field. It, you know, I, I wondered, how is that guy? Hey, how is he alive? Right? I mean, it really is different when you're right there. Well, and I think Shannon Sharp. Put it as the best
3: way I've heard. You know, if you want to think about what it's like to play football and get into those car crashes that they have every 30 seconds, basically, just go to your backyard,
2: run into your garage door 65 times, (laughs) and tell me how you feel. Yeah. I and, tried that and I could only get to 27 times before I said, I'm enough of this. I'm done. I, I hit the garage once the garage one and I just gave up. <laughs> I just gave up. So yes, football back with us and soon we'll have, as I said, tomorrow, the first day of August. So the preseason nearly here, but Evan, let's talk some baseball. There's something going on in baseball right now, a national baseball story, take the giants and everything going on with them or not, and put it aside for a minute. We'll get to it. Uh, the trade deadline. Fascinating. Uh, what's going on with the deadline. We'll get to that. There's a national baseball story that I think could be huge for baseball, and it has Bay Area ramifications. And, of course, I'm talking about Aaron Judge. Woo! Aaron Judge. Uh, let's see here. Second fastest player in Major League history to reach 200 career home runs. The Yankees beat the Royals 8-2. to So he uh, hit his 200th home run, came in his 671st career game, that's uh, behind just one guy. Do you know who the guy is who hit 600? Uh, let's see, 658 games um, to get to 200 home runs is Ryan Howard. Oh, that's right, Philly's yeah. legend Ryan Howard. Yeah, but here's the dang deal: Judge has 42 homers this season, so he's on pace for 67. So he has a chance to break Roger Maris's American League record, as you know, Evan. Baseball now they're trying to blur the distinctions between the American National League. They want us to just think of it. it's MLB, like in the NFL. But that is a legitimate uh, American League record. Roger Maris and, of course, a hallowed Yankee record. Uh, 61 home runs in 1961. So Aaron Judge has a chance to zero in on that. He, I mean, he could, if he really goes nuts, he could threaten Barry Bonds' single-season record, 73 homers. But do you think that... um as he gets closer to this, perhaps some are going to consider, well, 61's the real record anyway. I think
3: that it is important if he's able to break the record and bring, like, I, I, even though the game is synonymous, baseball is with the home run now, and this well, has been the last couple of years, there hasn't really been a, a face to that home run revolution. And I think that Aaron Judge has the potential to be that guy. Jim Carlos Stanton for a while, I thought could be. I know he got 59 in a 2014-15 when he was with the Marlins and has sort of fallen off. But just a historic pace that Judge is on. I think in order to get to 62, in order to break the record, he needs to hit one home run every three games for the rest of the season. And this is what... People should be excited about him baseball because it's finally a story that does not have to do with Rob Manfred mm-hmm. and the way that people perceive him and the way that he per- is perceived You know, to, to view the game. And it's someone that, especially here in the Bay Area, I think is easy to get behind because he's not your prototypical Mike Trout first round pick at the age of 19 into the big leagues and immediately into the record books. He's an incredible athlete, and it's very easy to see the way he dominates baseball. But he isn't—I don't want to call him an underdog—and he's certainly larger than an underdog. But he isn't your prototypical—he's larger phenom. than
2: Telenoa Hufunga, in fact. <laughs> that he is. <laughs> that he is. Excuse me.
3: But I—I just—I love the fact that we have something that everyone, to me, can get behind in baseball and the home run record. You know whether you feel like it's it's tainted or not with with Barry Bonds, it, it does matter, and I I personally believe that if Judge can break sixty one, I don't know if I'll crown him the home run king, but I'll definitely look at that as
2: you know a less tainted record
3: as yeah. one that is more pure.
2: And I'm not a Yankee fan, but there is a real Yankee flavor to that. Of course, we know the Yankees are the crown jewel of franchises in baseball history. Love them or hate them, I'm not a fan, as I said. But you had Babe Ruth had the single season record, then Maris broke it. And now we know that McGuire broke it um, since then, and so did Bonds. But the American League record is still a 61 set by a Yankee in 1961. So it could be fun here as Aaron Judge uh, continues to move in on that record. Uh, he's on pace, as I said, for 67. So right now, Aaron Judge tied with Sammy Sosa. Two behind Bonds and Mark McGuire for the most before August 1st in Major League history, um, which, of course, is is not a thing. Do you, so, do you feel like the home
3: run single season record is one that still has the pressure of it behind? Like, you know, Stephen Curry talked about how there was pressure in breaking the all-time three-point record, that it, it stuck with him at the beginning of last season. I know I've read about Roger Maris you know, losing hair, losing sleep, being stressed out, trying to break Ruth's record in Ruth's stadium. And Aaron Judge, to this point, hasn't really seemed like he's felt any of that pressure. Do you feel like there there still is
2: some kind of aura surrounding what used to be a mythical single-season record? I think one of the reasons those home run records was mythical, and I was thinking of this this week because I was listening to Devone and, and Allen, and they were talking to a writer – he used to be in the Bay Area. He's a great writer Is it Terrence. Terrence Moore. Moore. Yeah. yeah, he wrote a book about Aaron, and he was saying how Aaron, when he broke Babe Ruth's record, it was terrible, and for the rest of his life he was haunted by that. Now I know a lot of that was because of uh, how you know he went through so much racial, uh, racially motivated turmoil. That's one thing, but I think there was also the, and that was the main part of it, and it was. Hideously ugly, yeah. But I think there was something about Ruth was such a mythical figure that for Maris and for Aaron to try to knock Babe Ruth down on the pecking order, there was there was more pressure with that. It seems. Um, So now you know another reason why I don't feel there's as much pressure as there was on those guys. Bonds with seventy three, that just seems so far fetched. It's almost like, yeah, no one's gonna do that. Good luck if you come close. Good for you. Well someone like Reggie Jackson was on
3: pace to do that in the 1969 season. I think he had like 40 home runs through July and then the last 50 games of the season he just he just fell off. And and I don't know, you some might attribute it to the record, you know, with the pace that he was on at that point or maybe it was something else he got hurt, I don't know, but it's just so hard to maintain that pace for 162 games that I I do wonder how much that is going to influence Aaron Judge's performance and the way that I mean, even he's covered in the way the game is covered. I I also know that I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but again, in 61, Maris also played with Mickey Mantle, was much more of a you know fan favorite. And I know a right. lot of people wanted him to be the one to break the record as opposed to Maris,
2: but he was and Mantle just, fell off kind of. St- somewhat similar to the way you described it, you know, Reggie falling off in 69.
3: Yeah, and so, and and I wonder if, you know, people are actually rooting for Judge to do it, as opposed to, it felt like Maris, and the people who came before him actually didn't really want him to break the record. That's it,
2: yeah. Whereas, yeah, with Babe Ruth, there was some people didn't want Roger Maris breaking that record. Some people didn't want Hank Aaron breaking... Uh, Babe Ruth record, and this is like, oh, this would be great. So that's something to keep uh, uh, an eye on from the six five zero judges and tripping because he knows sixty one is not the record; it's seventy three. Go Bonds. Fair enough, but it is the American League record, so there is some legitimacy to that. If he threatens that record, that is an honest to goodness record.
3: Well, he's on pace for sixty seven, and I feel like if, like, if he was able to get even close to seventy, that that to me, in a weird way, might. Might be as impressive. I know that Bonds got, you know, some less pitches to hit. He played in a tougher park, but he also played in an era where putting up seventy home runs or sixty-five or sixty was was far more commonplace than it is now. I mean, Aaron Judge is by far and away the the best home run hitter in baseball, and it's really not close as far as him in second place. So Aaron Judge is in a league on his own, whereas Bonds, even though now you in hindsight you look back and is you know the most dominant hitter of his generation, but at the time he was still competing each year with Sosa and McGuire, and those guys kind of pushed each other, each other I think to hit home runs as well as you know do some other things off the field. Whereas Aaron Judge is like he is competing with himself, and so I think there is some importance in him doing that. And if he's able to get close to seventy, I would look at that as as something absolutely historic.
2: Just one home run in his first 13 games this year, and since then, Aaron Judge has hit 36 over his last 79 games. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, So that, I think, will be good for baseball if that becomes something that people are talking about. And then there's also this Bay Area aspect of this. Next year, Aaron Judge, free agent. How about it, Evan? Do you think there's any chance... That he ends up coming to the Bay Area. By the way, from the 510, before you answer, pardon me, Evan, Comcast Business Text Line, 888 957 9570. Thank you already for your contributions. 510 says, highly recommended the film 71 if you haven't seen uh, it on this topic. I have seen that. And uh, I think Billy Crystal did that movie or directed it or something. It was a, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, no, you're onto it. I, I think, I remember Thomas
3: Jane played. Mickey Mantle. I can't remember who played Roger Maris, but no, it is a very good film. Um, I mean, as far as Zaren Judge the Bay, like that, that would be a godsend, and that's why I am also interested to follow this this record or you know this record setting pace that Judge is on because if people begin to turn on him in the way that they turned on on previous record setters, or if he kind of flames out and we know how Yankees fans can be very critical of their of their superstars. Or let's say he goes on and breaks the record, but he doesn't have a good postseason. The Yankees you know, are on pace to win 115 games or whatever. Like I'm sure they're going to expect to be favorites when it comes to winning the World Series. Baseball is a fickle game; it might not happen. We'll see what the blowback of that is. So maybe, maybe judging in a, in a weird way, right now is on top of the world, but in three or four months could feel like I. I don't know. I don't know if I want this limelight. Mm-hmm. And if I can go to some place where I'm familiar with, I grew up loving, and I'm sure would open their arms and say, come on over to, to Oracle. Like we need you in the worst kind of way. And the Giants, most importantly, are willing to compensate him for that. I, I think it could happen. And now it's it's not a not a great chance. But I
2: think there's a better chance of that happening than them trading for a guy like Juan Soto. He's from Linden, California. And I, I I've mentioned this. I know that uh, around the all-star game and the all-star break, he was doing an interview at some point with uh, Hunter pence was uh, Aaron judge. And he was just raving about the giants. And how much. He loves the giants. And what do you do to get away from the game? Oh, I watched the giants on TV. <laughs> so some people heard that and thought, okay, this could be a thing. Of course, um, as I was discussing with, with Ray uh, last week, you know, if he was talking to someone from Cincinnati, he might've been talking about, Oh, I love the reds and no oh, Pete Rose and Johnny bench. Who knows? It does seem like there's a legitimate shot. And from the Giants' standpoint, it's interesting. Cause you had will Clark yesterday, his number was retired and it was a time to reflect on the giants uh, history. And it was really interesting. The things will Clark was saying about Barry bonds. Cause they were only teammates that one year, but we know when Barry came here, transformed the franchise, will Clark transformed the franchise. Well, Aaron Judge potentially would do the same thing, and the Giants right now are in need of some kind of facelift. I think they are,
3: but I wonder if having a face is important to them. I think having a player as great and productive as Aaron Judge is, a guy who can play all three outfield spots, who can clearly mash home runs, his average has you know, been been pretty good this season. Like he, he gives you so much as well as a middle-of-the-order bat and a right-handed bat that plays every day, which is something that the, the, the Giants have really been missing.
2: I wonder, though... Why are you going to insult
3: Wilmer Flores like that? <laughs> <laughs> wow! I was actually going after Darren Ruff. <laughs> but I, I I do wonder, though, how much the face really matters to a guy like Farhan Zaidi. I, I think it's important for fans, and and I personally would, would love to have at least someone that I can associate a certain team with you know even though he's not a home a homegrown player, but you know the the face to me is is important at least because for fans, you you have something to cling to with whether things are great or things are bad. I, th- I think one of the issues with the Giants right now for a lot of people is they just they just don't know where where to place their frustration. is is it Kapler's fault? Well, maybe, but then you know, he goes and tries to rile up the team and then they get swept right after that happens after he's, you know proverbially flipping tables and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if I I can't be really mad at the pitching staff because Logan Webb was so great last year. Carlos Rodon has been pretty good this year. The bullpen has been all over the place. Like the defense has been terrible, but they platoon so much that it's kind of hard to put the blame on one guy. So people just don't really know where to, where to place their emotions with this team. And at least having a face gives you some, some semblance of, of normalcy and, and, I think having a guy, especially a guy like Aaron Judge, who by all accounts has handled the New York market as well as you know any athlete in recent memory, and I'm sure would love to be able to to stick around if if they want to pay him what he feels like he's deserved. But if you're San Francisco, to me, it's like that's the guy that I want mm-hmm. more than more than Soto, more than any other player out there because of the kind of and, and literal shadow that he brings along with him,
2: as well as how good he is on the field. One of the things that makes Aaron Judge's season even more impressive is that home runs are down this year. Last time I checked, which was Thursday or Friday, home runs per game were at 1.08 in baseball, which was the lowest since, I think, 2015. So we know that the balls, and it was especially true earlier in the year, and the numbers have come back a little bit, but still, per game, home runs in baseball down. So the ball appears the ball doesn't travel as far, whether that's the actual baseball or the humidors or some combination. And yet he is destroying baseballs at this the near record rate. So that makes it even more impressive to the point you made, Evan, uh, about how difficult it can be to play in New York. And we know that that's real, but a real good example of that is Aaron Judge's current teammate, Joey Gallo. Look what's happened to him since he went to New York. It's like, He disappeared. Now, he was never a high-average guy, but he would get on base and hit home runs. And once he went to New York and then they turned on him, oh, man, he's just not effective at all. Some of that has to do with the baseball, too, but he has not thrived in that environment. But as far as Aaron Judge and the face of the franchise, I agree with you. I don't think Farhan is the type who goes out and says, hey, we need a face of the franchise. But we do know they need better players. And if you find a star like that, who energizes everything you're doing. And then that guy happens to become the face of the franchise. That's the way you do it. You don't go out we need a face of the franchise, but they do need better players. And I do think Aaron judge, because they could get him obviously without giving up anything other than money would be a perfect fit for where this is right now. Waiting for the young guys to arrive. Mm, they're maybe not that impressive. The veterans the fair to middle and veterans this year, having a down year, they need that type of talent injection on the te- text line. Pardon me. From the uh, 310, anyone thinking Judge will come to the Giants is living in a fantasy world. G's have not signed an A-list free agent in decades. Fair point and true, but we know they have tried, and we know that if they have any shot at Judge, they're going to make a push.
3: And I think if there was any one of those big free agents that had you know a, a greater likelihood, it, it would be Judge, just because of his local tie, as well as, you know, I, I, I know that it was kind of broadened. As far as his comments at the All Star Game, when Marley Rivera kind of stuck the camera, stuck the microphone in his face, and, and asked him, you know, about this young Yankees fan that that loved Aaron Judge, and you know, would he would he sign for Jacob, and and this kind of thing, and he kind of brushed it off. But I but I do think he is he is a little bit on the fence. Like he's going to figure out what's the best move for him. And to your point about not necessarily looking for a face, but looking for production, like he he fits the mold of a perfect. I think Farhan's a 80 player. Like he is, he can hit righties and lefties. He can play every single day and he can fill adequately one of the three outfield spots. I don't know if he would play as much center field as he does right now at Yankee Stadium because you got a couple more ground at Oracle, but he can certainly play right. He can certainly play left and you could probably
2: put him in center if you needed to. Well, by the time he joins my team, I'm going to have Ramon Laureano from your from your A, <laughs> so he'll be patrolling center for me. Hopefully, we'll see. Yeah, upgrade, you, need to upgrade the defense at this deadline. Well, I can't be Elliot
3: Ramos. That's that's <laughs> that's what we know at this point. He's like those guys are not ready yet. And so I I still feel like a, a great way, at least I think for the for the Giants to be able to build, at least right now, it they want to build from the inside out, but I think a lot of fans are asking for them to build from the outside in. And there's no one right way to do it. But I, I think that if like Aaron Judge is a guy that transforms your franchise, and who knows, maybe the Giants just put out a great offer and they just want to appear, they want the PR of you know going after a big boy just like they did with Harper, just like they did with Stanton. Otani, even they went after Otani. O, Otani, uh, Sia Suzuki, who chose Chicago this last offseason. But I, I really do think that there is more of a chance, albeit small, there's more of a chance of that happening than them going out and trading their farm system for another big boy.
2: I have to ask you, since you played college baseball, and, and I know you've, been, you've got a lot of stuff going on. Maybe you didn't see it, but did you see Tyro Estrada last night take a pitch off the right? It was, a, it was actually like a change-up. Uh, I think it was Al Leiter Jr., hit him right in the head, and it made a terrible sound, and down he went, and that's always so frightening. And it looked like Estrada just got a little tied up, like lost where the ball was, and it was coming right at his head, and, you know, the ball right at your head. It's like, where do I go? Um, and it was a very scary scene. So the Giants shorthanded a shortstop already, and he uh, he looked obviously stunned, um, he was on the ground for a long time. Giants appeared to be concerned about his head and neck. He got up. He left the field. And Vosler had to play short. But that was, anytime that happens, it's scary. You just, you don't see that. Fortunately, a guy taking one right off the the, the head like that very often.
3: No, and fortunately, I've never hit anyone in the head. Uh, that's, that, that's even though we we had some fun a couple of weeks talking about like buzzing the tower and that type of stuff where you go high and tight and try and get a guy off the plate. But Fortunately, I never hit a guy in the head, and I, I can't imagine that doesn't. Obviously, you're not trying to do that as a pitcher, and it's a very scary thing because. And if that, you
2: were trying to do it, you're not trying to do it with a changeup, right? Just to make no, sure we're clear. No, 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 that would no, yeah. that, that one floated a yeah. little bit too far in, yeah. and
3: and, yeah. and it's fortunate, even though it is. I, some people say, okay, well, it's a lesser velocity, this kind of stuff. Like, you you never know how the ball is going to, you know, I don't know, chip off the, the the side of the helmet, or if there's kind of a soft spot, a weak spot, and so. For Tyra Estrada, I, I just hope he's all good to go. And I'm sure they put him through a concussion protocol and whatnot, but um no, that that does not feel good as a pitcher whatsoever, and it and is clearly not a situation where there was any intent involved. And so I'm just glad that Estrada appears to be all right. Yeah. And that the
2: Giants can kind of just move forward. Yeah, uh, and here, I'm, uh, here I am saying I don't know if you saw it. You saw it. I mean, you had to tell me. I I turned the game off on of the Giants for five one. I thought, oh, they got this one, and I <laughs> missed the fact that the Cubs made it rather interesting in the ninth inning.
3: Well, that's why if for all the shortcomings of the Giants this year, to me, the two biggest issues are the defense and the bullpen. I, I know that they're they're not the most you know sexy things to talk about, but they like defensive runs saved. The Giants are I think twenty eighth in the league in D, in that defensive metric. And they're aided by the fact that they save the most runs or are in the top three in terms of most saved runs via the shift. So they they are very bad on defense. And their bullpen has been, at least in the last month and a half, you can't depend on anyone coming out of that pen, even a guy like Camilo Duvall. Duval. So like they, they got bigger issues than just trying to find a bat or trying to get a guy like Aaron Judge in the lineup.
2: Will the Giants thrill again anytime soon? If so, how do they get there from here? That's coming up next on this Sunday morning, it's Kevin Michael Whitey-Gleason, Evan Giddings with you on 95.7 The Game.
3: Call from mom. Answer it.
0: Call silenced.
2: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
3: You have 47 new voicemails.
1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: Now back to 95.7 The Game.
2: For breakfast this morning, uh, Kevin, Michael, Whitey, Gleason, and Evan Giddings. What are we, the breakfast food, e- food? Breakfast food equivalent of Evan, you and I.
3: Well, you could be the original Cheerios. I'll be like the generic brand cereal. <laughs> How about that? I come in five-pound bags. You're, you're more of a,
2: you're more of a, you know, wheat thins. So, so you're like, like, you're like toasted O's or some sort of generic thing like that.
3: Yeah, you can be, uh, you can be the the Fruit Loops. I'll be the silly circles. <laughs> Silly circles. You can be the, the Apple Jacks. I'll be the Apple Zings.
2: I was at least going to give us, you know, Eggo waffles, which are great. I mean, you can do better on a Sunday, but an Eggo waffle is like, yeah, I'll take that any time. You ever tried the Kirkland Eggo waffle? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I, assuming they sell a, a generic, like a,
3: a bland white box at Costco that comes with 20 different Waffles and they're
2: all different flavors and yeah. What would they be called? Waffle squares or something like that. Yeah, that's what we are. Maybe just a an ego waffle with you know your good old your maple syrup and your and your butter. Are you a waffle guy over pancakes? Yes, yes, yes. And i I don't mean to cut you off, but I feel very passionate about that. <laughs> no, I'm very. I- very passionate about them. I do
3: too and that's why I I love any opportunity to uh sneak into a continental hotel like we did earlier this week in training camp because they always have waffles they they don't they rarely do the flapjacks don't get me wrong I love a good pancake but waffles it, there's something just more crisp about it and it's it's so much of a I don't know, it's just a fluffy sensation in the
2: morning that I it's just it's indescribable do you know what the original name of the pancake was no the, the batter blob. That's what they call it, the, because that's, that's all it is. Now, I made that up, but that's to me what it's always oh, been. Oh, I was okay. going to say,
3: that's, that's what they called yeah. it in,
2: in the 50s? I don't know. That's a little before my time, oh. uh, the 1850s. Oh, yeah. sorry. That's, so it's that's just like, head. pour the batter. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a waffle, you got something going on. But as you know, Betty Botter bought, bought some butter, but she said, this butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, I'll make my batter bitter. So she bought a bit of butter better than her bitter butter, and she <laughs> put it in her batter, and her batter wasn't bitter. So it is better. Betty Botter bought, bought a better bit of butter. Nope. I don't you know that. I, I did not
3: know that, but I do think the people know now that Whitey, and this is this is this is not a secret here at the station. Whitey, I think, might be the top tongue twister <laughs> I've ever met. Nonetheless, at this station, but in my life, Whitey will walk in, and you know the way people like you know, will warm up for broadcast. I've seen you do this multiple times, and you have an impeccable pronunciation of every single tongue twister.
2: Wow. I appreciate that. I've had to work at it because there was a time when I couldn't say warriors. I'm really. still working on Sally Selden's seashells. Yeah. By the Thethor. Yeah. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. How many pickled peppers did Peter Piper pick them? Because pickled peppers aren't pickled when you pick them. There you go. <laughs> I didn't know, but now, now I do. Yeah. Peter All is right. Piper. Yeah. Uh, did you see much, if any, of Will Clark's speech yesterday? I caught some live. I caught some after the fact. Yeah. Um, it was pretty emotional, pretty emotional day out there. Well, you, you the actually Giants got come. to see him play. So I, I'm curious, because
3: after athletes retire, right, they, they kind of get a chance to remake themselves, whether it's in a good or bad light. Like the way that Barry Bonds, for example, is views, viewed now is is far different from when he was a player. And, and by all accounts, he's you know kind of become just an every average normal day guy now that people are, do enjoy being around. So what was it like for you to hear Will Clark last night and also see the way that you know, he's kind of evolved since
2: he was the the bulldog, at least from what I've read about as a player. First of all, the whole thing was kind of, um, what's the word, sobering? Because I had the privilege of being in for Damon a few days last week, and I was on with Ray. On Friday, we were talking about Will Clark and the memories, and you know, people, a guy called and said, yeah, I didn't see him, but boy, my mom said he was great. And I realized, wow. That is a long time ago. You know, having seen it, you don't realize sometimes. It was a long time ago. But the reason, and and I was asking Ray about this and thinking about it, why does Will Clark resonate so much even so many years later with those who did see him? And it gets back to what you and I were just saying, Evan. The Giants, you know, they had the the Mays, McCovey-era Giants. And by 71, they'd been in the the postseason. And then that was pretty much they traded Willie Mays. Uh, McCovey ended up getting traded to the Padres before they brought him back but it fell apart as it does and the Giants wandered for a while in the 70s they had some good young players but it never quite came together they had like 78 was a good year but then it was like mm, in 82 they had a good year but mm, 83, 84, 85 they were terrible 85 and then 1986 they bring in Will Clark and Robbie Thompson, the Hum Babies, with Roger Craig as the manager, and I was very skeptical. I was like, "Oh yeah, here we go." Who's who's this guy? And opening day, '86, Will Clark hits a home run off Nolan Ryan, and it was like, "Oh my goodness!" '86, they were good. '87, they won the division. And it had been so long, it had been since 1971, they'd even been in the postseason. So Will Clark was the best player on this team that in some ways revived, if not saved, baseball in San Francisco. So you had the Will Clark years, 87 they're in the postseason, loss to the Cardinals, 89, the Giants and A's in the World Series, which unfortunately was marred by the earthquake. But then 93, you had Barry come in, another Giant revival. But then Will Clark had to go. They didn't want to pay them both, so Barry came, and the Bonds era started. That's when the Will Clark era ended. And that's why, to me, it was so interesting last night to hear him talking about Barry Bonds, and he said, I wish we, you were the best player I ever played with, I ever saw. I wish we'd played together longer, and I wish we'd done more in 93, because that's where one era kind of ended and another started. Uh, but Will Clark was just the... He was, I guess you'd say, the ultimate gamer. And he's beloved, I think, because A, he was so good, and B, he helped revive and in some ways save Giants baseball. Well, and that's why I think now some people struggle with
3: the what the 107 last year means. To your point about the progression and the steps that he took along with the Giants to get back into the conversation of contention, the Giants currently kind of skipped a step last year. Now, by no fault of their own, you go out and you have a historic season, you all win 107. Props to you. But when you kind of jump the line a bit as far as what people expect or what what is more normal as far as a team rebuilding and getting back to being competitive, people have a hard time, I think, just grappling with, okay, well, what does this season mean? Whereas someone like Will Clark, who in a lot of ways embodied the Giants when they were bad, as well as when they got to the point where they could be in the World Series. I think it's just interesting to see someone like that over the course of their career hear about the the want to go back and and play with Barry Bonds, the want to continue to play in San Francisco. Because nowadays, I mean, even, even a guy like Buster Posey, who's more of a leader by example, but at least there was someone that you saw the progression with, the immediate success happen with And then you saw them grow as the team grew. And in in a way, Posey along with Clark was more just of an overall reflection of where the Giants were as a franchise. There isn't that now. And so that's another reason to me why we talked about in the first segment why people get frustrated with this team is because they don't know what to believe. The good as well as now the bad that we've seen in their game under 500 at this point in the season. People don't know what to think. Will Clark gave you clarity and gave teams... Clear Clarity, whether it was not great and then working their way up to get into the playoffs to to make those necessary steps or to get to a place
2: like the World Series. Mm-hmm. Did you hear the story, Will Clark, the Will Clark story that uh, Kruko told last night? Oh, no, uh, I missed that. Paraphrasing one. basically, it was uh, uh, spring training. I guess it would have been 86. And Kruko's, you know, spring training and he has a bad inning or something coming off the field. And Will Clark says, hey, you're going to have to do better than that if we're going to win. <laughs> You know, Will Clark, the, the rookie to my Gruco And Kruko says, that's when the Will Clark era started. I think in some ways the Giants are still feeling um, the absence of guys like you mentioned, Posey and, you know, even Boach. Nothing against Kapler, but they had those great teams. And I know, you know, Buster just, he was still here until this year. But I think, you know, that was going to catch up to him. And I think right now they look a little bit I don't know if directionless is fair to say, but they need – it's like, where are they going from here? Farhan, I think, has done a really good job of keeping them relevant. Last year, they were very fortunate, but that's okay. That that, that counts too in baseball. So where are you going now? All right. Uh, you expected more than you're getting right now from your young players. I think that's clear. Some of the veterans, you know, Farhan does a really good job of finding guys that are undervalued. But right now, some of those guys right now, you're finding out why other teams didn't value them that much. Great. All right, you're still in the playoff contention now, 107 next year. The question really is, what do you do now, especially with the trade deadline here? In a weird way, I feel like they're going to just
3: let the trade deadline sort of come to them. You know, people have discussed whether they should be sellers, whether they should be buyers. I don't think they want to be strictly one or the other. I agree. I think they have some pieces that they can sell. I think that there's some acquirable assets out there in the majors that would help them both now as well as in the future. I know you kind of joked about it, but a guy like Ramon Laureano with the Athletics is a guy who is probably not that expensive. Is not going to you're not going to have to mortgage the farm to go out and get a guy like that who's still under team control, who's still relatively young, and who has tools mm-hmm. that you can use to build winning baseball teams. So I think that there are a few names out there that that Farhan has in mind. But he isn't necessarily going to be aggressive in, I, in going after him. And, and I, I just wonder if people, you know, as we move through the deadline, August 2nd, it's coming up on Tuesday, if the Giants don't make a move, people will perceive that as, as weakness in a way. But in reality, I think Farhan is just in a place where he's comfortable. He's not comfortable in 500 baseball, but he's comfortable in knowing that his plan is still in motion. It's still a long-term process for him as well as the Giants. And so if they can add something at the deadline, I think he will do it. And I think he will do his due diligence to make that a reality. But if it if, if someone comes to him and says, hey, we want this piece and we'll give you that, then the Giants might just end up selling whatever they can. Because at this point, you, you just got to look for value, whether it's in the buying or the selling
1: market.
2: You're right. I don't think that Farhan looks at it as if you asked him, are you a buyer or are you a seller? He'd say, yes, depending. No, we need to know. We want to know if you're buyers or sellers. And I just don't think it behooves him to look at it that way. That's probably true of all GMs, although we like to you know, frame it this way or that way. So if he can make a move that he's going to have to give up something to make, a move that is going to improve his club short-term, long-term, he's going to do it. Which brings us to this question. If you're Farhan, Evan, and I'm not saying you are, okay? I'm not saying you are. Uh, if you were Farhan— I'm missing a couple degrees. Would there be—I know. What a cool job he's got, right? What an amazingly cool job. But would there be any untouchables right now? And according to report, you had the report too, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, according to yeah.
3: Joel Sherman of the New York Post, Logan Webb is the only untouchable piece on the on the San Francisco Giants, and I would kind of agree with that. I think he's a young, cheap, homegrown guy who you're hoping could be your next Lincecum or Kane or Mad Bum. So that that's certainly something that I would not move off of. But yeah, everyone else is on the
2: block. Yeah, Giants listening to trade offers for their veteran players. According to Heyman and Sherman is the one who says, yeah, everyone except Webb. But again, listening to offers is different than they're trying to get rid of everybody. It's amazing to me how many people want to just, oh, you got to blow it up. It's time to tear this down. How does that make you better? It's it's like confusing activity with accomplishment. If you blow this thing up, what do you really achieve? I don't think you achieve anything.
3: No, I, th- I think that football and basketball have made this difficult for, at least in, in today's age, You know, for us to kind of understand why a major league team is, is okay with winning or being, you know, an an 85 win team or an 82, 83 win team and just being on the outside looking into the playoffs. Like no one in, in basketball, you're no man's land if you're not in the top 16, right? So if you're the nine seed or the 10 seed, what are you doing? You might as well just tear it all down and rebuild in football, same deal. But in, but in baseball, I This is where I will give Farhan a lot of credit in that he is trying to compete while building from within. And that is how the best organizations have done it. I mean, I'm looking at a place like St. Louis. Obviously, the Dodgers kind of stand out on their own because they have so much money. But if, you, if you're looking at kind of like-minded organizations or organizations in a similar place with what they want to spend, how they identify talent, how they try and work kind of on the margins— I'm looking at St. Louis and I'm even looking at the Boston Red Sox who have been identified as another potential seller trying to get rid of some of those veteran pieces. And both of those clubs have done a pretty good job of winning ball games comp- competing year in and year out while also bringing up young talent through the system. And it just it just so happens that this year is is a year where you're not winning and the next wave of You win today, you're back to 500 ev if you beat the woeful Cubs, you're back to 500. Yeah, they, this they they should beat the Cubs, uh, and and in fact, the, like the fact that they didn't have a win for what was it, ten days between the before the All Star break and after, yeah, that is that is not a great sign, and that would spur me as a fan to say what the 209 is on the Comcast Business text line, which is totally great. Get rid of everyone. I don't want anyone on this team. Just tear it down, and we'll work our way next season in 2023. But that's not the way I feel that a a competent club, that a successful organization does business. And it's hard to hear that the Giants might be aiming for 85 wins, which is going to get them, you know, 20 back of first place for the Dodgers. But I think that's also how you do eventually pitch to free agents like Judge or guys down the line. Like, Aaron Judge is not going to want to come to this team if, if they just decide okay at this point we're going to sever one tank and we're trying to win seventy games That's or seventy five games right he wants to come to a place that values winning or other marquee free agents want to come to a market where your team values winning and where you this have a time chance to, show them to that. win
2: yeah where okay I, if I go there we're going to have a chance to win now even I have to admit that the Giants right now they're they're kind of on the edge of that postseason race to me if you're in the race you're in the race. They're four out of the last wild card right now, as we speak. And there's a team between them and the Phillies who currently occupy that third spot. That would be the Cardinals. So it's it's getting a little dicey there. But if you blow everything up, again, that sounds like, oh, great. Yeah, it's about time. I don't want any of these guys. If Farhan had done that when people wanted him to when he first took over, you wouldn't have had last year. You wouldn't have had that incredible year. Now, if you're going to be really cynical, well, what did that get you? Well, yeah, it was a magical season, uh, got you playoff series with the Dodgers and 107 wins. So Farhan's too smart to do that. He would do that if that was their quickest, truest path back to being relevant. Uh, And being a contender, if he thought, yeah, that's our best shot, he would do that. But he clearly knows that that would be poor asset management because you do have some things worthwhile. And if you tear it down and have a fire sale and get rid of anything, the only thing you accomplish doing that really is you save money. The Giants don't need to save money. They don't want to spend a lot, but they do have plenty to spend if they wanted to.
3: Yeah, and that's that's also another reason why I feel like fans have trouble understanding this season or or the direction of the Giants is because we've been told that they do have the finances to go out and get a guy, but so far they haven't. They're kind of waiting for their opportunity to pounce. I know they've offered big money to Harper, they've offered big money to Stanton, but it hasn't come to fruition. So people are, are one like how how deep does that pocket really go? You know, we know how deep a guy like Joe Lacob's pockets goes not the actual number but we know that he's willing to pay to win and it's a good
2: question it's a fair question right now
3: and and that's where i'm at with the giants you know they're they're kind of like their, their payroll is not astronomical it's not incredibly small like
2: you know that well, of a small market down team this year i believe it came down this year after 107 wins
3: yeah and but that's also kind of understandable i mean i i don't know if farhan looked at last season like that was supposed to happen or or even if if he could have predicted that I, I would be interested to see, okay, the beginning of a season, you know you have your your Pythagorean uh, win loss record, right? you 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 crunch the numbers, you figure out all right, what's our ceiling last last year coming off of a you know, a five hundred twenty twenty albeit pandemic shortened season, I don't know if the Giants predicted they were going to win ninety five games, nevertheless, one hundred seven. And then this year, you're kind of seeing the opposite side of that coin. The one reason I would be optimistic is if, okay, the ceiling is 107. If the floor is 500 baseball, that's a a pretty good place to be. That's better than a lot of other teams.
2: I agree. If that's sustainable, yeah, I think you're right. Now it seems like as a, a fan for a lot of us it seems like wait 107 wins to a team that's under 500 that's terrible but big picture if you can if you're operating in that range I'm, I'm with you that's you you can you can work with that two excellent texts in my opinion on the text line here Comcast business text line 888-957-9570 ev what do you make of these from the 209 how do you measure that this is a successful organization? Not sure I've seen it yet outside of last year's kind uh, out of the box, last year's kind of out of the box season. I think that's a fair question. And from the 510, I think most people's issue is what's the plan? The young players seem so far away. Rodon and Jock are both gone next year. I would rather they trade players for players that will be ready in two to three years. Give me a timeline.
3: Well, I would say measurement of success. I think it just comes down to playoff appearances in in baseball. I know, World Series titles are the goal, but like we saw last year, you can win 107 and it largely not mean anything once you get to the playoffs. If you run into a hot team or into a better team, there's so many different scenarios in which you can win, which is also why I think the number of playoff berths is important because if somehow the Giants can sneak in this year, I think a lot of people might view their chances of winning the World Series this year as maybe not being exact, but Kind of close to last year. Like last year, we were always waiting for the team that was going to step up and prove that the Giants weren't 107 game winners. And granted, the Dodgers. It took them five games. It took them, you know, a one run separation in the ninth inning of Game Five of the NLDS to prove that. But in a and yeah, a, a mischeck swing call. But they eventually were proved that you know they they weren't World Series worthy this year they're going to be able to play without expectations in the second half, and that might allow them to get hot. They might have a week or two where they rattle off 9 out of 10. Now, they've they've also had stretches recently where they've lost 9 out of 10, but that could easily flip, and if you just get to the postseason, that, to me, is the measurement of success because once you get to October, all bets are off, and it's large in part back to an even playing field, I think, even though you know some teams are... Constructed better than others. It's an even playing field more than any other postseason tournament. So you just got to get there. And so far, the Giants have, you know, one postseason berth under Farhan. First year was kind of just a teardown year. It doesn't doesn't not count. But they weren't going to make the playoffs last year. La, that year, the pandemic season without Posey was difficult. And then you come back and you get a postseason berth in in kind of the first real. Set year for Farhan and a division and title. And a division yeah. title yeah. in which you generally don't have any other division winner not named the Los Angeles Dodgers. So that to me, it means that they're on the right track to becoming a successful group under Farhan. And if they can sneak in this year, I'd be willing to, to even call this year a success.
2: From the 6 2 6, I'm with you on that. We're a long ways from that, but it's certainly on the board. I'm a Mets fan. That's a great example of a team that wanted to go all in and spend money and make moves. It might bite us in a few years, but we are relevant now. I think what fans want, and I'm just, this is speaking, I guess, uh, about myself as a baseball fan looking at this. I want to get an idea, okay, what is the Giants' plan to to the Texters' point? I think we know that the plan was, bide your time with the veterans, and then the young players will arrive, the prospect's. Hopefully, some of them will be stars, and then you're on your way. So far, that's not working out. So they do need, I think, the fan in me needs a statement from this team. What are we doing? What's next? Um, I I think if they're able to get a guy like Judge, which is still unlikely, that would be the statement that a lot of fans need. This is what we're doing. I think at the deadline, I think there may be some fans waiting to see something there, something definitive. I don't think you're going to get it. They're not going to be able to compete for someone like Soto, I think it's more likely to the point you already made, Evan, expertly Farhan's probably going to be a, both a buyer and a seller at this deadline. A lot of fans, I feel, are going to be going, what are you doing? I mean, it's the same old, same old. He's biding his time with reptilian patience here. But then it's going to be time at some point, if judge is available, to make a move for him. If not, what are you going to do? They're going to, ha- they're going to have to get better players one way or the other. And if the young players aren't becoming those young players, free agency is the way to go.
3: And it's, look, in all likelihood, it's not going to be Aaron Judge. We would love that; that would solve a whole lot of problems, I think, with San Francisco as well as the problems that some of the fans have with the team right now. But even outside of that, there are a lot of guys. I'm just looking at the free agency, you know, market coming up in 2023. Aren't there a lot of shortstops available this year. One of them or named that, Trey yeah. Turner with yeah. uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. But I'm also looking at, you know, the, the guys that I think Farhan would want to target. Guys kind of on the margins. A guy, you know, if you're looking at pitching. I'm looking at a guy like Nathan Ivaldi. It's not a a sexy name, but he could do great things in a Giants uniform, and he's kind of had a few down years in Boston. He's, He's had some great ones as well, but he's
2: you know on kind of the back end of his career, 32 and up. But can you compete with the Dodgers making moves like that? And isn't that the type of move that you're right, rationally, like, it's productive, we're better, but isn't it the type of move that has some fans going, come on, we need more than that?
3: Yes, but but again I, I think the goal for the fans and, and the team really it's it's hard to compete with the Dodgers.
2: That's yeah, and that's it's, another thing. It's virtually thing. impossible. Everything the Giants are doing is against that backdrop right now. It's like you're trying, you're in the same division as a freaking Dodgers. If if they were in the NL Central
3: this conversation would be completely different because it's much more wide open and but but the Dodgers they just have such a stranglehold not only on the division but what seems to be on all the top talent that becomes available and so you're sitting here like well gosh we can't even get Aaron Judge meanwhile they're getting Mookie Betts you know they Freddie add Freddie Freeman. Freeman they're getting pitchers left and right they got more guys coming back they they lose Walker Bueller and don't miss a don't skip a beat.
2: The Dodgers are so machine. much. Yeah, that's possible that they may be able to put together the best offer for Soto, and they may decide, nah, we don't even want to do that because we like our guys better than we want Soto. The Padres might have Juan Soto, Manny Machado,
3: and Fernando Tatis hitting two, three, four in the lineup, back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, and they're not going to be the best offense in the division. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's That's how good the Dodgers are. And so I don't think you can compete... At that, like, you would have to go so deep in your pockets to, just to even try and pry, you know, a marquee name away. That to me, where you win, it's got to be, it, it, I mean, it's cliche, but you got to win on the diamond and you got to prove that you can get to the playoffs. Because again, in a five game series, we've seen teams be upset, historic teams be upset in five, seven games. That to me is where you prove that you're better than them is potentially head-to-head in the postseason. I think that's why last year hurt so much, but also why you should have hope because you don't need to win 107
2: to beat the Dodgers. You just have to do it when it counts. Coming up, it's time to tackle the 49ers. We don't know where Jimmy will go, but we know where the 49ers don't want him to go. Hmm. That's next. Evan Giddings, Whitey Gleason, ninety-five-seven. The Game.